Feb is going to read our scripture now, followed by Laura Wall, who will be bringing us a, a beautiful message this morning. Our scripture comes to us today from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 25 and going to verse 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him in his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Well, good morning. This morning in first service, um, which was sparsely attended compared to normal attendance, partly because of the STP and partly because it's such a gorgeous day and it's summer and so on. And Dwight just got up and said, thanks for being here. (laughs) So thank you for being here. It's always wonderful to share this time. Um, As I was preparing the message for today, I wanted to sort of interweave some of the themes of of the bike ride because so many of us are holding our riders in prayer, and uh, so I thought I would try to do that. And and I also, as I was looking at the texts, I looked at um, all three versions of what really is, in Luke, just an introduction to the parable, but in Mark and Matthew is more central, which is the instruction from Jesus about the greatest commandment. So you'll hear a little bit about that as well today. So this biker riding the STP... Seattle to Portland, is sailing down the road. Not too fast, not too slow, perfect pace. And then it happens. He's coming around a corner, something slippery on the road, or maybe too much angle, it's hard to say. But he goes into a skid, and he tries to brake, and he wobbles, and before you know it, he's not in control of the bike. And first he's aiming at the ditch, and then he's in it. And it happens so fast that it's all a blur, but he's lying there, hurt, dazed, and pretty beat up. He 
decides "Eh, it's a good idea not to move, and so he doesn't. Pretty soon, another biker comes along. These are the leaders in this ride to Portland. They've worked hard to train, and eh, maybe they're a little competitive, but it's all in good spirits. And this guy sees the one down in the ditch, only he's going so fast that before you know it, he's already passed him. And he thinks about it. Yeah, maybe he should have stopped. Maybe he still should stop. But, well, he's not medically trained. And anyway, isn't that what the support staff is for? And by the way, he's already a quarter of a mile down the road by now. So it's too late to go back. Surely no one could expect that of him. The guy will be okay. And a moment or two later, another rider passes the biker in the ditch. She's focused on her pace, but she's worried that she's not going to finish the race. She's getting pretty tired. And she's afraid if she stops, she'll just give up. And anyway, that guy in the ditch looks kind of creepy. Maybe he's drunk. Maybe worse. Come to think of it, she'd have to be crazy to get down in that ditch and help that guy out. Surely no one could expect her to. And in fact, many bikers go by, aiming at Portland, avoiding looking at the biker lying in the ditch, hurt and unable to help himself. And then what happens? From out of the woods comes a homeless guy. Okay, a bum. Hungover, smelly, dirty, with open sores on his body from living outdoors, or who knows, maybe from last night's bar fight. He comes along, and he sees this person lying in a ditch, hurt, bleeding, dirty. And something happens to this man, this bum, this person who's been thrown away by society, and maybe even by himself. When he sees this man lying in a ditch, just for a moment, he sees himself. And he sees how other people must look at him. Disgusting, shameful. But instead of getting mad or secretly agreeing with the way people react to him, instead, in that moment, looking down at himself in the ditch, he feels compassion. And that glimmer of compassion, of recognition, moves him to act. And the homeless man This failure in life, this outcast, rejected, reviled waste of a human being scrambles down into the ditch beside the bleeding, broken person and covers him up with his own torn shirt. He leans over and he says, it's okay. I'm here and I'll help you. I'll help. So the story of the Good Samaritan appears only in Luke's gospel. Although, as I mentioned, both Matthew and Mark have the discussion about the greatest commandment that precedes it in Luke. In Mark, the conversation is with a scribe who seems truly interested in what Jesus' answer will be. What, Lord, is the greatest commandment? In uh, Matthew, the question is posed by a Pharisee who's testing Jesus. But it's important to understand something about Jesus' response in all three Gospels, because there are two responses— And we often sort of blend them together. In fact, in Luke, it is blended together. But that's not how they were taught in Jesus' time. The first response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, is part of the Shema 
from Deuteronomy, where we also get the Ten Commandments, and it remains the center of Jewish liturgy to this day. This is what Jesus calls the first and greatest commandment, and no one, an answer that no Jewish person at that time could have possibly argued with. But then, then Jesus pairs this with the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the second part of his response, but it actually comes from Leviticus, an entirely different book. And yet Jesus goes so far as to say that it's the second greatest commandment after the Shema. So in effect, he's saying you can't love your neighbor unless you love God. You can't love God unless you love your neighbor. They are inextricably intertwined, these two concepts. But the author of Luke's gospel isn't content to leave it there. And the questioner in Luke, a young, arrogant lawyer, doesn't talk about a commandment. His question isn't about a commandment. It's about how do we inherit eternal life, which is the life that Jesus promises to those who follow him. So Jesus responds with a parable. Now let's talk about that parable for a moment. In popular interpretation, Jesus is depicting the law versus a higher truth of compassion. And the Jewish priest or rabbi and the Levite are seen as adhering to the law by not having contact with the corpse, which would make them ritually unclean. And it's said that they're on their way to the temple. However, in the book, The Misunderstood Jew, which it's a funny title, but it's a very good book and very well-researched by uh, author and New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine, she debunks this popular interpretation. She points out that the body lying in the ditch isn't a corpse, so therefore no stigma would attach to the priest or rabbi uh, or Levite if they were to take care of him. And as they were going down from the road to, to Jerusalem, they weren't on their way to the temple In fact, if the body in the ditch had been dead, they could have performed a very important commandment or mitzvah by burying him. So Jesus' point was not just about a showing of compassion from an unexpected source, the Samaritan, but Jesus would have expected anyone in the Jewish community listening to this story to be shocked by the lack of compassion shown by the priest and the the Levite. I mean, these were the leaders of the Jewish community. They should have been moral paragons. They should have been examples for everyone. And instead, they ignore their duty to their neighbor? Unbelievable. Unthinkable, in fact. So as author Levine, I always trip over that, Levite, Levine. So as the author points out, Jesus' message was twofold. Not just that outsiders who aren't expected to show compassion do, but that insiders who are expected to provide aid do not. So Jesus is breaking boundaries again, challenging safe assumptions, asking us to look even among our own community and even within our own soul to examine how we define really who is our neighbor. And as Pastor Brad has been saying, and as Christy McLean shared so beautifully last week, Our neighborhood extends all the way to Ethiopia and beyond. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, defined it this way. If any man asks, who is my neighbor? We reply, everyone in the world. 
nor may we in any way exclude our enemies or the enemies of God and their own soul. But every Christian loveth these also as himself, yea, as Christ loved us. Now I know, I know no one in the Aldersgate First Vancouver STP Writers Group would ever ride by someone who needed help. But do we ride by people that scare us, that threaten our sense of security, that embarrass or offend us? Where do we fail to see the humanity that connects us? And who are the people that we exclude? Who are the outsiders to our own heart? But there's another piece in all of this, a foundational piece. The text says to love your neighbor as yourself. But that means we have to love ourselves. So what parts of ourselves do we exile? What parts of ourselves do we fail to show compassion for? Do we feel ashamed of or impatient with or anything less than the love that God showed us through Christ? Because that's the third piece. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. So what kind of a neighbor are you to yourself? And this one's hard sometimes for Christians because... Self-love can be associated with pride or arrogance, but they're very different, very different. Maybe it's better to call it self-compassion. Or as uh, the author of a a book I just love, and I'm actually going to donate this book to the library, a copy of it, to the library. It's called Words Made Flesh, Scripture, Psychology, and and Human Communication. And as the author in the book talks about it, self-acceptance, self-acceptance. We need to accept and embrace all parts of ourself, the flaws as well as the strength, in order to be the whole creation that God wants us to be. And it's not always just our faults that we exclude, that we reject. Sometimes accepting our gifts is just as hard, or it can be. Author Fran Furter says that genuine self-acceptance pushes us to take who we are on a journey. It invites us to love ourselves so much that we won't let ourselves be less than we can be. She goes on to say, and this this really captures it all, to move more deeply into self-acceptance is to automatically move more deeply into the experience of the genuine goodness of humanity, our neighbor's humanity as well as our own. I have a friend uh, who works with a population that is just so challenged. It's, it's really almost hard to imagine a future for them. They have These are people with multiple chemical dependencies, mul- multiple functional disabilities, and just chronically mentally ill, homeless. And yet when you hear her talk about her work, her whole face shines. And this is her calling. And, and she gets this big, goofy grin on her face, just like as if she was talking about what the most adorable baby in the world just did. And instead she's talking about maybe somebody who just managed to show up for services, even if he couldn't manage to stay. Every little accomplishment she celebrates. And it gives her a deep hope, a deep sense of joy. The thing is, she gets it. She gets the challenges and the issues and the suffering maybe better than anyone I've ever met. And she, gets, she can get very deep very quickly when she talks about the Paschal mystery. But she's always looking for the possibilities. 
always looking for reasons to hope. And when she finds them, she can't wait to celebrate them. Can you imagine what that would look like if we approached our own limitations in that way, in that same way, if we celebrated our own small successes or those of our neighbor? What would that look like? I went for a walk today. I'm throwing a party! I held my temper today. Balloons and candy for me. I mean, wouldn't that just light up all the dark and scared and lonely places inside of us and fill us full of an overflowing, abundant joy and love? And isn't that the love Christ has for us? Who is our neighbor? It's right there in the text. Our neighbor is us. So let's go back to the scene by the side of the road because the movement of grace is continuing there. We've already seen how opening ourselves to compassion for others can heal our own soul. But by this stranger's act of compassion, the biker by the side of the road sees past his smelliness, his sores, his dirtiness, and he sees this homeless man as a fellow human who has reached out to help. And that is deeply healing for both of them. In fact, that is communion. And isn't that how it works? Every act of compassion rebounds to increase the compassion in the world. That's what Christ came to teach us. That's the meaning of the Trinity. God's love poured out for us in Christ. Christ's love poured out for us on the cross. And the Holy Spirit continuing to pour the love of Christ over us all so that we can pour it over our neighbors and over ourselves and by doing so return it to the source of all love. Go now and do likewise. Amen.